from drawing illustrations to picking the perfect picture for a photo story. Creative director Eddie Stock and designer Ana Rodriguez talk all things design with our deputy editor, Julie Simon. Keep listening to get exclusive detail about our latest issue, Down to Earth. Are we? Are we? Are, are we, we here? here? <laughs> yeah. What up? Are we here? Boom. Hello. I'm really glad to have you here with me. Um, as an opener, could you each tell me one fact about yourself and what your favorite thing you designed for this issue was? Wow, I did not prepare at all. <laughs> um, this morning, I had to wake up at six to get here. So I'm a little bit tired and it's sweltering, but very happy to be here. And my favorite thing that I designed for this magazine is the glossary of Irish words, which we will be talking about later. A fun fact about myself... I am a climate activist and I helped organize a couple strikes in Portugal. I haven't been active in Belgium because I don't speak French or Dutch, but I hope to be soon. And my favorite thing to design in the magazine, I didn't design it, I just put it there because it's a photo spread, uh, but it's a photo spread from the Diana's story. It's the one that we saw uh, a while ago with the, um, the plastic sheet. Yes. yes, the one with the berries. So as designers, I'm sure every issue must really feel like your baby when you get it back and you see everything that you've been working on on the screen translated into print. Uh, what was special about land as a topic to bring to life for design? And what were you most excited about when uh, we selected this theme? What excited me was the possibility of life like green and luscious like plants and flowers and like all of these kinds of traditional associations with the land i think also the approach that we took even though it is a little bit climate focused and there are some articles that that do cover quite maybe pessimistic angles such as the uh, story about ibiza i do think that the angle that we chose in general allowed us to be very optimistic in how it's designed, the colors that we used. In contrast to, for instance, our climate issue from, I want to say two years ago, that's a long time ago, uh, where it was easy for us to like maybe go down this like doom and gloom route. And I'm very glad that we managed to stay away from it. What I'm most about, excited about in the magazine is the Sami story with the indigenous people. I didn't know there were indigenous people in Europe. So I was really surprised about that, and then I really, I was really excited about it. There is something about this issue that is very different from our previous issues, and that is that the bulk of the illustrations uh, were all done by the same artist, Hannah Locke. Uh, we haven't done this before. Uh, so what was the reasoning behind this decision, and can you tell us a little bit about the cover? First of all, we love Hannah because uh, she has already made a number of very special illustrations for us in the past, single article illustrations. But as Julie said, this is the first time that we have basically taken one illustrator and just asked them to illustrate the entire magazine. Mostly we did it for consistency reasons because we just wanted to try to see what would a magazine look like if you just took like one person and had their vision plastered all over the magazine. Whereas in the past, we did more of like, you know, I would art direct a number of illustrators and they would all have their own ideas. And 
at the end of the day, you can make it maybe visually or in terms of colors consistent, but in throughout this magazine, you can really see how Hannah also has maybe like an opinion about what she has read, about the articles, about, about how she wanted to display and portray these issues. So uh, I think that was a very special way to collaborate with an illustrator. And so to explain the process a little bit, uh, we have the text. Text comes first. <laughs> and then uh, how exactly did you work with Hannah to create illustrations? So normally we would just send each illustrator one article, the article that they are illustrating. It was a little bit of a tall ask to have Hannah read the entire magazine <laughs> before she could start illustrating, because that would be a day job unto itself. Um, so what we did was um, we gave her some summaries. We said, you know, feel free to read. Here are the articles. But basically what we did, we gave her some like departure points, like, oh, here is an article about this. We want to have something about like a beach, something about building, something about, you know, the mood uh, that we wanted to portray. And then we kind of let her go from there, which was really inspiring to see. It's also nice sometimes to just let go and see what happens because to always keep all of the reins really tight, it also you know, creates cramp in your hands. So <laughs> sometimes it's nice to let go. I guess now we should talk about the Irish glossary, which we have briefly mentioned. There will be a pop-up of that soon. I will say that this, in terms of the way that it was created, was I really, really loved it. It was so surprising. It felt super interactive as well, which I really enjoyed. Could you explain a little bit about the Irish Glossary, what it is, uh, and how you came up with this as a visual way of accompanying uh, the piece? Just to give a very quick intro into what it actually is. So apparently in the Irish language, there are 32 different words for field, or what we would call in English just a field. So there are, uh, there's a field where you would have your cattle rest for the night, and there's a field that is predominantly used for parties and feasts and there's a field that is has corn and there's a field that is low lying and dry and there's a field so there's like so many different kinds of fields and so the first thing that I thought when I saw this very long list of different kinds of fields is wow like the landscape in Ireland must be so outspoken that they need so many different words so I just imagined this like textbook picture just in a grid with like each each little square having a different kind of field uh, as described in the words. And normally what we would have done in the past in a glossary, we would have each word with the definition and then a little picture to describe or at least to like symbolize what that word means. But what, what I wanted to do is wanted to have like this experience where you just like look at the landscape and then you have to go to the next page and like look up the coordinates and maybe as you look at the coordinates on the, on the index, you can kind of imagine what kind of field would go with that. Uh, and then you go back into the, into the picture and see yeah, what, how that relates to each other. So I really enjoyed working with this, this kind of format that really can only exist in like a print magazine because you don't have pages to flip and you don't have, you know, you don't have that interactivity. Absolutely, and I think what was most enjoyable about it was just going back and forth, and then you know you look at one field and you're like, okay, that's the field where the cattle sleep, but then your eyes kind of go to the next one and you're like, oh, what's that? And then you go back and forth to the yeah, it's really a very enjoyable um, experience. Now, Anna, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, Diana's photo story. Um, I want to hear about the design 
process of that and kind of how you chose to put certain photos in certain places and uh, how that went for you? Uh, yes, it was really interesting. I really enjoyed the process of selecting the photos. When I get the photos, the, the, the editors, they have already made the selection and I go through them and putting it on design, I sometimes have to choose different photos because it just doesn't work the first selection. I think my favorite spread from the, the photo series is the one with the berries. And it's very curious because it was not supposed to be in the magazine. When we were at the end of making this magazine, we saw that we had not as many pages as we said to the printer that we would have. So we had four extra pages to add. And this was one of the, page, the spreads that we added. And I'm really happy with it. It's my favorite spread in the magazine. <laughs> I think it came out so beautifully on print and it really almost feels like because uh, magazines can get quite busy there's a lot of text there's a lot of things going on and then you can just have kind of a moment of solace where you're looking at something very beautiful but as we've discussed previously almost ambiguous if you don't really understand the story behind it it's uh it's just a really beautiful pause in the middle of the the magazine I really like it I want to talk now about another uh, story that's featured in uh, the magazine because, Eddie, you haven't solely worked on the physical magazine but also on a multimedia story that we did called Young, Brave and Farming. Could you tell us a little bit about that story? Where to start? Because it's a very long story. So the story was not made by me, per se. It was made by my better half, Sam, who is also in the room today, but who will not be coming up to speak, but who you can speak to later if you want to horrify him. Um, but he would enjoy that very much. This uh, multimedia story is about three young Dutch farmers who are tr struggling to find their place in a changing agricultural system. If any one of you, if any of you have followed the news the recent, in recent weeks, uh, there have been a lot of protests in the Netherlands by farmers who feel like they are not being treated fairly by the government. And I think that because they have some heavy-handed protest tactics, that public opinion has turned against them very quickly because a lot of people who are not familiar with the way that agriculture exists in our world, what they don't know is that it's very difficult to be a farmer because you can't just be you know, happily growing your crops or feeding your cows and milking them. You exist as an entrepreneur, which carries a lot of risks, which carries a lot of uncertainty, and you have to deal with a lot of regulations. Um, and even if you want to change as a farmer, if you want to become more uh, climate friendly or change the way that you do your, your practice, it is very difficult. It's almost impossible for some of them. And that's the kind of situations that we do come across where, you know, even if you want to, there, there, there's two um, farmers, Johannes and Joanna, who want to start a dairy farm in like a, like a more environmentally friendly model than what their uncles currently have. But the, the number of barriers that they face from funding to, you know, local cooperation, it, it's, it's difficult for them to, to get the means to buy out their uncles. And then even at the end of the story, um, what you find, what we found out is that at the end of the day, their uncles were the ones who didn't want to sell them the farm because they were not comfortable with how quickly their farm would change after they handed it over. Because at the end of the day, for them, it's like a family heirloom. You know, they worked hard to build it up to a certain capacity. For them, it was an emotional moment to see that their 
heirs would want to cut it back so significantly. And my, my follow-up question to you is, obviously here we are seeing Young, Brave and Farming designed for print. So how was it to take a multimedia story and then to change the medium through which someone was going to consume it? So how does making a magazine differ from making a multimedia story? Very broad, but I'll let you choose how you want to answer it. I think what people don't realize is that making a multimedia story allows you a lot of freedom because when you're making a, for instance, documentary film, you have to catch every single thing that you want to put in that film on camera. And if you don't have something on camera, sucks to be you, but you don't get it. But when you're making a multimedia story, you have the freedom of saying, well, you know, I, I took this part on film and it's beautiful and I've got all of these beautiful shots, but this interview, it just works better as text and some things just work better as photography. And it really allows you to mix and match the way that you present the story to the reader. Um, it does also require some investment I wonder if you can find it. <laughs> uh, just go to youngfarmers at rweeurope.com. And then, of course, uh, basically what we did for the magazine is we had our editorial team write some short introductions for each of the cases because the story covers three different cases of three different farmers. And it really is just a very short introduction to ease you into the story. Um, so we've got a lot of mixed media here, we've got some film, we've got some illustrations, we've got some text. I recommend that you read the story at home on your biggest screen, whether that's a tablet or a, a laptop or something, um, because uh, the added experience over seeing it on your phone is really worth it. Anna, on your side for this issue, I know you spent quite a bit of time working on the infographics. So I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about what it's like to translate data into visuals that are, I guess, easily understandable for someone to look at and also kind of fun. Like, for example, this infographic on aging farmers. It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> I spent so much time working on this. Yeah, I get about two pages of data that is actually very broad. It's really a matter of trying to understand it and scale it down to something that then can be translated into visuals. So yes, this took a lot of time, also a lot of experiments that you can see. I don't remember exactly what the original data was, but I simplified it to show farmers by age in Europe, but it's, it was always something about the age of farmers and then something else. And it was a matter of dividing that information and getting something small that I could translate into visuals. There's the, uh, the Empty Spain infographic, which I really like. I don't remember the, what's the name for this type of uh, map again? It's a cartogram. A cartogram. Could you explain what that is? So a cartogram is uh, a map that is dismorphed to show some kind of statistics. In this case, we first see the map of Spain uh, as it is, and then we see it per population in that specific area. So we can see that Madrid, Valencia, and Barcelona are the ones with the most population. And then there are parts that are obviously that don't have population living there. Keeping it close to the theme of Down to Earth, which seeds has this magazine planted for the future? Is there anything you've learned or been inspired by um, that you would like to bring to future issues? I think the seed that it planted in me was 
this idea of a unified vision for the magazine in terms of illustration, in terms of visuals. I think it also really cemented, because that's one thing that we, we kept bringing back as well, this idea of collage, so overlaying illustrated and photographic elements to really create depth in a way that is also, because we are a very small team and we have to deal with a lot of limitations, that this is a way, an easy way for us to create depth and, 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 and layeredness to the visuals that would be difficult to create in other ways. I agree. I think that's probably the biggest seed that it's going forward for the next magazines. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your answers and for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the last part of our pop-up radio show. Next week, we take you to the streets of Berlin for another On the Street episode. This one has been produced by sound producers Neja Borkovic and Jada Santana. Support us by buying the latest issue down to earth online or buy our customized t-shirts on everpress.com. See ya! Thank you.